0: Well, last weekend, Sheila and I made our annual fall break trip to the lake house. And we wanted to come this morning and just let you know how thankful we are that you give us a chance to be gone for the weekend and that we get a chance to enjoy some rest. I mean, there's really not a lot happening in October down in Eddyville and at the lake, but we don't care because it's just a good time to get away, to get some rest, because when we're here, in our home and doing different things it stays really busy and we don't get the rest that maybe we should have so we're very thankful every year for a chance to have a little getaway for three four days and just rest and do absolutely nothing i mean we just do nothing we we, we eat we go to paducah for a little while and we do a little shopping and we have to go to Mellow Mushroom on Friday because it's the best pizza place on the planet. All right, if you've never been to Mellow Mushroom, find one and go. All right, you'll enjoy it. All right, and huh? Mellow Mushroom. Okay, good. Yeah, it's really good pizza. Yeah, really good. And then and then Friday or Saturday we always go down to Patty Settlement and you know we have to be able to eat there also and we leave there really really full. Except this year, they had the Harvest Moon Festival, which kind of added to the entire event and celebration, and it had all kinds of booths and things set up, and walking through all these different booths and, fe- and uh, activities for people to look at and shop, uh, I found Mike's Donuts. Okay, so I'm really full, all right? You picture me really full, and then we walk around a little bit, so you get to exercise some. And then we run across this little vendor called Max Donuts who has the best donuts in the world. I mean, they're, they're miniature size, and they put cinnamon sugar on there, and you, you pay $8 for a dozen. I ate at least seven, if not eight. Sheila got the leftover. So it, it's just that kind of weekend where we're just gone. We get a chance to enjoy some rest, and it's just wonderful. So thank you for the chance we have to be gone for last weekend. I gained almost, I gained over two and a half pounds last week. I'm putting it back off now. Well, the M&M's not going to help, but I'll work on it. All right, but today, putting that aside, today we're going to look at a portion of Paul's letter then where he's writing to his beloved Philippian church. And we're going to find in the very early portion of the letter that we're going to examine today that Paul is very thankful. He's thankful for the gift he received from the believers in Philippi and He's also thankful for their genuine Christ-like love. But additionally, we observe that Paul is full of joy. And, and it's important to note that Paul is full of joy because he's writing in a time when most of us would not be joyful to be in the circumstances, in the situation in which he finds himself. I mean, Paul is, is in a Roman prison, and he's in chains, and but he finds joy in the midst of all those circumstances, circumstances, and we also sense with the reading today, as he's expressing his gratitude and thankfulness and having joy, he also longs to be with those he loves and the fellowship they have when they're together. So today we just simply titled the message Love, Joy, and Fellowship. Because that's what Paul is after. In a sense, I, I we need to equate what the title is and what Paul's after to what we have here at Crossroads. Because I believe we have love, joy, and fellowship here at this church. As I mentioned, Sheila and I were thankful for the opportunity to be gone last weekend and enjoy the rest of the way from different things, but we missed our family. We missed being here with all of you because we love you so much and because you bring joy to us and because we have great fellowship here. We missed all that. I mean, I was with believers We went to the church in Eddyville at First Baptist, but it's not the same. We have the absolute best music available to mankind, and we have just a great church family, and we miss the love and the joy and the fellowship. It was great to meet the believers, but we have missed you. We missed our fellowship. So hence then the message today, because I got thinking about all that, I got thinking about and how he's in this jail cell, perhaps a little bit lonely, undoubtedly missing companionship and missing his family, missing his friends. He's missing the genuine love and joy and fellowship that he could find at the church. He's missing that, and he longs for that. But at the same time, he also has his great memories, and he has a special bond for flipping believers, and he writes a letter then to express his love and also to provide them some encouragement. We'll explain some of that as we go. But let us stand this morning as we look into the word. We're looking into Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to look past the first two verses. And start in verse 3 where the caption here says Thanksgiving and prayer. And we're going to read through verse 11, the section that begins his letter where he expresses his gratitude. It we'll starting in verse 3, of Philippians chapter 1. the glory and praise of God. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading here, and we thank you, Lord, reflect upon Paul's situation, that, Lord, we're not in that situation, and just let's see how he has joy even in the midst of his situation, and then see how we have joy in our lives, because we are free. Let us be thankful for that. Think of that here this morning. Thankful, thankful for that joy and the freedom and the love we have here and the great fellowship we have here, Lord, and how we long for that if we're away, such as Sheila and I were last week. So, Lord, we just ask now the words to be said today would be the words that will help us understand the love and the joy and fellowship that exists here at Crossroads and be thankful truly for it. Lead now, Lord, and guide. It's your message, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now before we do any kind of dissection of the text, or any kind of lapidation from there, it's important to note, I think, the beginning, before we do any of that, that the date, and maybe the time and the circumstances again which Paul was writing this letter. I mean, I alluded to it a little bit in the introduction, but with Paul's circumstances. But notice how nearly, it, almost unanimous among scholars that this letter was written about A.D. 61. There's some debate about that, but about A.D. 61, but they're nearly unanimous in recognizing that Paul is writing from prison. I mean, it, it's almost inconceivable to, to believe that he writes a letter to, to his special friends, the Philippian believers, in this particular circumstance, the Philippian believers, while in chains at a Roman prison. And within the letter, as we can be able to see from the reading, he takes a moment very early here to be able to ex- express some gratitude and some thankfulness for a gift that's been sent to him. Now, you may wonder, well, what kind of gift? is isn't mentioned here. But in chapter 4 of this letter, you can look with me, it alludes to it a little bit, doesn't again specify exactly what it is. But in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul elaborates a little bit, and he says, In Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again referring to them helping him. now he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more I am most applied having received from epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and acceptable an acceptable a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So notice of those verses that later on in the chapter toward the end of the letter, he begins to tell us a little bit about the gift he received from a special friend named Epaphroditus. And then he's also now reflecting upon that very early in the letter and he's expressing his gratitude for it. So notice that he starts the letter out by expressing simply his thankfulness and his gratitude. And that's what we receive very quickly about what's happening in the midst of what he's going through. But I us also add really quickly that Paul's letter is not just about expressing thankfulness for his friends. He also wrote, as he did in many of his letters he's writing, to encourage them in this faith. By reminding the believers that true joy comes from Jesus Christ alone. Look, we again in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's just that simple. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice and with that particular verse in mind coupled with the fact remember that he's in prison in chains writing this letter we have to ask ourselves is not it remarkable that Paul can find the joy amidst his circumstances When you really begin to process what's happened to Paul, we can't actually put ourselves in the position that he's in. But if we try our best to do so, we would ask, I mean, who do you, could we possibly be joyful in that situation? I mean, who do you know that would have joy in jail, in a prison cell? Now, remember, added to that, remember that the modern day jail cell, I've not been there, thankfully. Is not like what Paul was going through. I mean, Paul's predicament, Paul's situation, his environment is nasty. It's dark and dirty, cold and wet, smelly. Much like it was yesterday, was it Chase's house? We had to fix his drain pipe. Okay, that don't mean Chase's house is all dark and dirty and smelly. But we had to fix his drain pipe and had been so long since it had been draining, it had this big clog in it. So we cut in the drain pipe, and we cut it in two, and all of a sudden the water starts gushing out. It's dark and black and nasty and really smelly. Can you picture that? Okay, so that's Paul's situation. This dark, nasty, cold situation he finds himself in in the midst of a jail cell that he's writing this letter. Now, that ain't nothing like I picture modern day jail cells i mean again i've not been there but i see how we have these modern day conveniences of a a cleaner cell we have electricity certainly and we have plumbing and what any other modern day convenience exists today compared to what paul was going through it's a nasty disgusting environment but paul knowing where his joy comes from can rejoice in any circumstance. So I, I reflect upon that, and I, I think rather quickly, and I ask, can we rejoice in any circumstance in our lives? Even deeper, can, I mean, who finds joy in the times of difficulty? In, in times of financial burdens and trials and Relationship issues and sickness and all these illnesses. I mean, who finds joy in those moments? Because I don't know anybody that really is joyous in every one of these occasions. Besides, maybe my friend Ricky. I work with a guy whose name is Ricky, and he is joyous, smiling, laughing all the time. He's about the same age I am. And all the drivers have nicknamed Ricky Happy. Because he's happy, smiling all the time. It it almost gets a little bit on your nerves, quite honestly, because he's never down. The dude is always up. He's always smiling and happy. And we named him happy because he just always is. He seemed to be joyous at whatever occasion. So we also found out about Ricky, by the way, men, he's never been married. So we thought, well, maybe that's a clue. Okay. Now Sheila's not in here, but tell tell her later. I'm very joyous for nearly 40 year year. 40 years we're together. Don't 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 leave her and say, cursed he hates being married." No, tell Sheila later. I love being married. I don't envy Ricky at all, except he's happy all the time. And I just make an observation: as other drivers, he's never been married, but I'm happily married for nearly 40 years. Okay, you with me? All right. Okay. Good. But that's the situation where he can be rejoicing in any circumstance. We equate that into our lives, and we find, well, we're not in this dark, dungy, nasty prison. We're just living life. And we have life to happen. And there are financial burdens and difficulties and sicknesses, and all these relationship issues exist in life. So why can we not? If Paul's in his situation worse than ours, why can we not find a time, why can we not be joyous in every situation? Because it seems that people cannot find joy in every circumstance. So I ask myself as well to you, why? And and I, I think it is possibly because we typically allow our circumstances to dictate how we feel. We, we focus on a situation, and then that itself determines our mood. And then when we get in that really tight spot, it's easier to become bitter rather than joyful. I mean, it almost is because we're human. But that's not what we can discern and detect in Paul's letter. In Paul's disposition, despite the imprisonment that we find that he's in, Again, it seems joyful. I mean, note that Paul does not seem to be in broken spirit by what we can read, but rather simply longing to be with the people he loves to be with so dearly. I mean, Paul longs for the true Christian fellowship, an environment of love, joy, and fellowship with his fellow believers in his church. That's what he longs for. I mean, he's not necessarily unhappy. But he's not enjoying the love, the joy, and the fellowship he can be having with those believers. He'd rather be in that environment, and who could blame him? He'd rather just be at crossroads than being in the prison cell. And won't we all be? We would all rather be there. But taking what Paul has said here and dissecting it a little bit, we find that he gives us three characteristics that we look upon today of genuine, true Christian fellowship. Because Paul essentially states in his letter here to the Philippian believers three things. He says, I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayers. Three different characteristics we can find a true, genuine Christian fellowship. So let us take some time, expand upon each. And the first is, again, Paul tells them, I have you in my mind. Again, I'll go back to how it's truly remarkable That Paul is thinking of others, not himself. That's what's happening. When Paul is writing the letter to the Philippian believers, in the predicament situation he's in, he's thinking of other people, not of himself. I mean, he awaits the trial in Rome. And as he's awaiting, his mind goes back to the believers in Philippi. And every recollection he has brings him joy. So as we think about that, we just maybe ask ourselves this question. How often do we think of others? Now, however you might be answering that question, add this to the equation. If you were in prison like Paul, how would you be thinking of other people? How often would you be thinking of other people? Because most of us, if we're in Paul's situation, we would maybe be longing, of course, to be with other people, But most of us will be thinking about how long till I get out of here. This disgusting environment. How long must I endure this? When will I finally be relieved in this environment? And and Paul doesn't say anything about how long must I be here. He doesn't refer to any kind of time element. He's just thinking of his friends and being with them. He has them in mind. And every wonderful Memory is full of a great moment that he has shared with me. And during Paul's missionary journey, he has made all kinds of prayers. He befriended a lot of different people in all of his different journeys, but at the same time, he had to endure suffering while on these particular missionary journeys. And a great example is Acts chapter 16. Where you read later, you'll find that Paul has some things that happened to him at Philippi in which we would be very sorrowful for, and in which he had every right to be sorrowful for. I mean, for example, look in chapter 16, the book of Acts. You have to turn there. I got behind me in verses 22 through 24. I mean, it tells us that Paul, upon his journey into Philippi, it was his companion Silas, was illegally arrested, beaten, placed in stocks, and humiliated. Verse 22 says they tore the garments off them, Paul and Silas, gave orders to beat them with rods. In verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. This is a situation that Paul has faced. Who's going to find joy when you're beaten with rods? humiliated, thrown into prison. I mean, perhaps it's very painful for Paul, I can imagine. But even in the midst of having been beaten, and the pain from such, even those memories brought joy to Paul. Because it meant his suffering was not in vain. Because the jailer that was in charge of all the people when he was there was Silas actually was brought to Christ. If you know Acts chapter 16, you know that there was like this earthquake, and all the jail cells, doors began to open and and the, the jailer is about to kill himself, and Paul says, don't, we're still here. And it's to the unbelief of the jailer. And, of course, Paul takes advantage vain situation and tells him the true gospel, and the jailer accepts Christ. That's a paraphrase of what's happening. We'll read more about it later. But he, he can, in the midst of suffering, still find the joy because he knows from that it was not in vain that someone come to Christ through that, this jailer in charge of everyone. It's not just that particular one occasion. I mean, further, we can find that the, not just the jail-accepting Christ that gave Paul this happy memory while he's in prison now, Rome, writing the letter, Paul also be reflecting back to the day he met Lydia. Many of you know Lydia from the time we had in our study about 12 extraordinary women, but Lydia, in Acts 16, verse 13, was a seller of purple in Thyatira. And how she accepted the gospel when Paul came upon her and she ultimately came to Christ. But the thing about Lydia is that it wasn't just her to come to Christ with Paul's message of the gospel. It was her entire household and every one of them was baptized. You know, what a wonderful memory again is for Paul. We could also be not just those two, the poor slave girl who had been demon-possessed about Christ. And perhaps even she came to mind for Paul. The same could be said with other dear Christians at Philippi and which he's reflecting upon. And each recollection for Paul was a source of joy. He had them in mind, these special remembrances. And remember then the first point here is that Paul desires to have fellowship because he has his dear friends in Christ on his mind. So the question we go back to then is, do you have others on your mind? Or is it often we're just thinking of ourselves? you ever noticed you can't have fellowship with just yourself? I mean, we live in a self-absorbed society. Many people are guilty of thinking only about themselves. It's all about me. It seems to be everywhere now, that thought process. But if that's where any of us are in our lives, then it helps to remember the first point that Paul is making here, that you fellowship begins with having people you love or long for in mind. Again, you can't have fellowship with yourself. It's impossible. So let's think about fellowship for just a moment. I mean, what exactly is fellowship? I mean, if, if fellowship is merely a get-together with family and friends fellowship, Because if so, I mean, that's the morning Thanksgiving dinner, family and friends. I mean, is that fellowship? We should ask ourselves if that's how we define fellowship, because really it's not. I mean, the the Greek word "konia" means fellowship, means partnership or to have in common. But true Christian fellowship is really much deeper really much more than just having a turkey dinner at Thanksgiving time. It's more than just having a cup of coffee and sharing a slice of your favorite pie. I mean, too often, what we think is fellowship is really only acquaintance or friendship. But listen, you cannot have fellowship with someone unless you have something in common. And for Christian fellowship, the kind that we have and the kind that Paul desires, this means the possessing of eternal life within the heart. And what ties us together, what ties Paul with the Philippian believers together is the fact that it's the blood of Christ. Every one of us are in fellowship together because we commonly have the blood of Christ that we notice, that we accept that He died for us. We've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. It's a common element we have having together. So we have a unique fellowship. So unless a person has trusted Christ as a Savior, he knows nothing of the fellowship of the gospel that Paul longs for and that we have. That's exactly what Paul is longing for. He desires to be with those he has in mind. He has something in common with. Christian believers who accepted Jesus Christ, united by the blood of Christ. It's the fellowship that I longed for last week. Even though I was with other believers, I didn't have our fellowship here our love and joy and fellowship. That's what we were missing as we were away. That's what Paul is missing when he's away from his, his church. He has them in his mind. And secondly, we said, he has them in his heart. Now, if you love the King James Version and swear by the King James, it's the only one to read, the only one to consider. is an interesting side note is the King James does not use, use a unique word in the situation verse 8 where it says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The King James words it this way, How I yearn for you all with the bowels of Christ Jesus which seems really weird, okay? I mean, I didn't come back to you this morning and say, after being gone for a weekend, I didn't say, I yearn for you within my bowels. I didn't tell you that. And that would seem pretty weird if I had them. But the King James doesn't mean literally bowels, as you may think about it, okay? It simply means within your soul, particularly your heart. And the idea is that you have a desire within you. As in your heart. Now, for quick clarification, maybe we should also point out it's possible to have others in your mind or on your mind without really having them in your heart. For example, Cale's gonna like this. I mean, I can have Kyle Larson on my mind as he's on his way to becoming the next NASCAR champion again, but I don't have him in my heart. I mean, I don't like the dude that much. Okay? He may be a great race car driver. I may have him on my mind. But I don't have him in my heart. I just recognize him as a good driver. And what he's on the way to be again, a NASCAR champion. But for Paul, then, his sincere, unfeigned love for his friends was something that could not be disguised, could not be hidden. And that's the way true Christian love should be. Having someone not just on your mind, but on your heart. Warren Worsby points this out. He says, Christian love is the tie that binds. Love is the evidence of salvation. We know we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. 1 John 3, 14. He says this to listen. It is the spiritual lubrication that keeps the machinery of life running smoothly. I like the last sentence. It is the spiritual lubrication that keeps the machinery of life running smoothly. I think about the machinery of life being our heart and how it's lubricated by great, sincere Christian love. I mean, as we hear that, maybe we think about ourselves then thinking, okay, well, maybe I lack that. I mean, how can Christians learn to practice this kind of love? We should consider that a pastor more than once has been told, I get along better with I unsafe neighbors than if I saved family. So how can we truly have this love? Or or in some cases, better than that. Say, why? Why does this happen? Why is it that people can go to a bar and have more love expressed to one another than some churches demonstrate among members and visitors? That's a great why question. Why is it that some people can go to a bar and receive fellowship and love rather than sometimes going to the local church and not receiving love, joy, and fellowship that should exist between members and visitors. Because it seems to happen at times. For years, there was this sitcom, you may have heard it before, called Cheers, right? Cheers was a very popular show on TV that had this bar in Boston in which people would come into the bar, they go down the stairs, and they come into the bar... And there was Norm and all kinds of different guys that was there drinking. and But they would just have this great love as evidence for one another. I mean, yeah, I know it was a show, a TV, but it exists today. I mean, it was a personification of what really happens in some areas today, in some cities, is that the people go into a bar and they have this great love and affection for each other. So again, the question is, is that happening secularly in a bar Why can't that happen? Why shouldn't that be happening in churches today among members and visitors? Why doesn't it? And and perhaps it's because Christian love is not something we can kind of work up to. But rather it's something that God does in us and through us. In, In Paul's situation, he longed for his friends from within. I mean, deep inside his heart the bowels, the heart, the, the, in his soul, in the love of Jesus Christ. But observe this then. It was not Paul's love channeled through Christ. It was Christ's love channeled through Paul. Now it takes a moment to reflect upon that think about it. So let me say it again. It was not Paul's love channeled through Christ. It was Christ's love channeled through Paul. I mean, Paul could not work up his love for the flipping believers. It was his love, first and foremost, for Christ that developed and produced his love for other people. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Which means simply this, that when we permit God to perform his work in us, his good work in us, then we grow in our love for one another. And it's things like we do, things that we just maybe naturally do here that some other people don't, or other churches, I don't mean to be condemning or be critical, but it just happens when when the good works that we do that produces love is like concern for one another, through prayer for each other, visitation when one's in a hospital or whatever situation is. we we, we pour out our heart for them, we're with them through any predicament, any situation, we're concerned. It's also like providing meals for someone when they've had a newborn baby or they've had a death in the family. And it's just certainly forgiveness of one another. We're going to hurt each other at times, perhaps, but we're quickly to forgive one another. It's things like this that exhibit love in your heart. And Paul's desire for fellowship stems from having his friends in his heart. He loved them dearly. Why did he love them dearly? Because he first Love Christ. And because he loved Christ, he had that common element with them in mind. They were tied by the blood of Christ and they longed to be with him and he loved them dearly. So notice Paul tells us a couple of different things and that true Christian fellowship is having from others on our mind and now in our heart. But he also says this then, and last will be he says, I have you my prayers. Notice in verse 9, Paul's prayer seem to be very specific. Or his, his writing there is very specific where he says, I pray that you love may be more abounding, and more knowledge, and all discernment. So he, he prays that they might experience abounding love and discerning love. That's the key word. He prays they'll have abounding love and discerning love. He's praying for the believers, hey, I have you in my prayers. He's praying for them to have abounding love and discerning love. So let me ask you this. When you pray, do you pray for people to have, they might experience abounding love and discerning love? You might say, well, I don't know. What's those even mean? Well, abounding love is like an overflow. An overflow, like a cup running an over, just keeps on going and going. And it's an abounding, overflowing type of situation. We use love continually. Discerning love is like more insightful, understanding, maybe even judgment. So now, Paul then is wanting his friends to grow, abound, overflow, and also have discernment in all that they have and all that they understand, all that they do. So he prays then they will have abounding, overflowing love as well as love that is understanding, insightful, and even considerate. Do we pray that for one another? I mean, I I think that as we begin to pray, it's not a natural prayer we have for others to be abounding in love and having discerning love. But it's a prayer we should have for one another, especially in the love we have for each other. We should want everyone to grow and mature, to have insight, to have understanding. And have an overflowing amount of love for each other. Now, having said that about prayer, let's say also this. All prayer is powerful, amen? All prayer is powerful. And we have a prayer list that is full of needs for special friends and family. And we pray for these needs. We must also pray, as Paul directs us here, For the growth of others, for their steadfastness, for them standing firm in the faith, for them to have that overflowing love in all situations, for the joy, for their happiness, to have a considerate love for others. I mean, I pray for all of you and your needs and your family. But do I pray that you can have an overflowing and discerning love? I'm not sure I do, but we should incorporate into our prayer time for you to be growing in, in love and in your word and steadfastness. so you praying the same for you. We shall be praying together that way for one another. And Paul prays that then for his special friends. So he says an example for us. I mean, Paul undoubtedly prays for his friends in which he longs to fellowship with and as we should be. By the way, let me mention this. You ever notice how prayer can bring you closer? It can mend relationships. It's hard to stay angry with someone when you sincerely begin to pray for them. So we should be fervently praying for one another. It just brings us closer together as family. We are family, we do have love and joy and fellowship. And we should certainly be praying for each other, because it just brings us closer together when we do. Not that we're going to be mad at each other, but if we ever get a little bit upset or angry, that prayer time is going to diminish that greatly, if not completely eliminated. Pray fervently for one another. Pray, for, Paul prays for his believers, for his church family he belongs to be with, and so should we when we're not together. So in closing here, then Paul has three different things he reminds us of that maybe we already realize and just simply take for granted that we should have each other in mind, we should have each other in heart, and we should have each other in our prayers. That produces great fellowship. But let me also just say this, which is written in your bulletin. He also reminds us that true Christian fellowship is much more. Listen to me. True Christian fellowship is much more than just having a name on a church roll or being present at a meeting or in church. It's much more than that. He also reminds us that it's possible to be close to people physically and miles away from them spiritually. And he also reminds us, thirdly, then, that one of the sources of Christian joy is the fellowship that believers have in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I mean, Paul is in Rome. His friends were miles away from him in Philippi. But the spiritual fellowship was real and satisfying. It's what he longed for. And I venture to say when the Philippian believers received this letter from Paul, they longed for the same thing as well. For Paul to be with them. For they all could be together. Enjoying what they had in common. the Love, joy, and fellowship. He loved them he had them on their mind, he he had them on his heart, and he had them in his prayers. They were bonded together forever. They were bonded together forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. They were bonded together forever. Aren't we also bonded together forever? We are. We're Christian brothers and sisters in the family together bonded by the blood of Christ and we enjoy our love we enjoy time of being together and we certainly enjoy some fellowship Sheila and I were many miles away from you last week and we long to be with you because of the special love the joy and the fellowship we have together let us never take it for granted and always emphasize it here at Crossroads Father Lord, we thank you for